Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where John Negroni and Will Ashton discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. So sit back, relax, and pour one out for the two and only Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I am John Negroni from the internet, California. And joining me today from the internet, Pennsylvania, after his graveyard shift at Adventureland, please welcome Will Ashton. Nice. I like that you knew exactly where Adventureland was filmed and you placed it exactly where I am. It's good research. <laughs> Thank you. And rambling on his entire expositional backstory from the back of a stolen car, it is Soundmaster Maverick Hines. There's a good chance that like I've done that in real life before. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure, but it might have happened. For those of you who don't know, I am referencing the movie we're gonna be talking about first up today, a good time from A twenty four. That's gonna be our big review. Uh, thank you for listening. We have uh, an interesting show. This is like a, a new kind of show. What are, what are we doing later, Maverick Hines? Well, actually, you're not involved in what's happening. Later. Yeah, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're introducing a new segment uh, called On Tap. Ooh! On Tap is really simple. Uh, we, we already recorded an interview. Um, our, I interviewed Kaylee Donaldson, friend of the podcast. She was on our Wonder Woman episode. And we are going to be talking about a breaking news story that happened over this past week. Uh, I interviewed her to talk about how a book that already has a movie deal bought its way to the New York Times bestseller list and basically broke Twitter these past few days. That was an awesome conversation. Got to talk with Kaylee, who helped break the story uh, on Pajiba.com. So that's going to be awesome. And then we're doing mini-reviews. We're going to talk about Leap, Death Notes, uh, the new Netflix original movie based on the anime, and Brigsby Bear. And that's going to be fun as well. But Maverick Hines will not be with us for the mini-reviews because, you know, there's a, there's a fight tonight. Yeah, I'm going to be watching yeah. the infamous boxing match this evening so i figured you know what's more important to me my cinemaholic family or and you can mini review that next week i could i mean everyone's gonna know it's gonna probably break the internet in like an hour but <laughs> yeah exactly i thought you were gonna say there's a fight tonight it's not just between us or something like that see um, i thought you were gonna lead into a joke but i guess not oh well <laughs> you're gonna be humorous but instead you were just oh. yourself <laughs> oh all right well uh Let's talk about Good Time. This is a an American crime drama uh, starring Robert Pattinson. And uh, it was directed by ben, the Softy brothers, Ben and Josh. Uh, it also stars Ben Softy. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, I apologize. Uh, the film synopsis is, After a botched bank robbery lands his younger brother in prison, Constantine, that's Connie, Nikas, embarks on a twisted odyssey through the city's underworld in an increasingly desperate and dangerous attempt to get his brother out of jail. Uh, so let's talk about good times. Starting with you, Will Ashton. You know, and I, I want to start things off. Like One of the main reasons we wanted to talk about this movie this week is because it comes from what I think is collectively one of our favorite production companies, A24. Mm-hmm. And so there were a couple of like more obscure releases coming out and it was an interesting. We had an interesting conversation because we also want to talk about like you know Death Note and I guess the other big big release I guess we want to call it is a uh, is a leap. But one of the reasons we landed on Good Time was because you know stars Robert Pattinson. It's getting a little bit of some Oscar buzz. So we'll going into the movie, watching it. Did it live up to? Do you think it lived up to the hype? Uh, short answer, yeah. I thought it did live up to it. Did live up to the hype? I mean. This is just kinetic filmmaking at, you know, some of its finest. I mean, it, it had like a weird 
I don't know. It's a, I don't know if it's more seventies or eighties feel to it. Like there was that like symphonic score. It had very like kind of close, tight filmmaking, but it did feel very modern at the same time. And it was just, I mean, it's I was very eighties. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I didn't know. It was kind of like somewhere between like late nineties to like mid to late eighties. So it was like a kind of retro feel, but at the same time, it did have a very modern sensibility. And I mean, I've been rooting for this kind of Rotten Pratson uh, comeback since you know Twilight. It feels like Twilight was like five million years ago. With his recent <laughs> movies, he's just been kind of on this roll recently. And I thought he, this might be, honestly, his best performance I've seen from him. I haven't seen The Lost City of Z yet, but... Well, hold hold up, hold up. Water yeah. for Elephants? It beats uh, that? <laughs> oh, Rye for Elephants. That movie, like, if there's, like, any movie I want to think of, like, that has, like, the least chemistry between its leads, I just think of Robert Pattinson and Reese Witherspoon in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I mean, I haven't read the book. I heard it's pretty good, but, like... I just remember, like, their lack of chemistry just really killed the movie for me. But enough about Water for Elephants. Good time. I had a good time with it. Uh, Yeah. What do you think, John? Oh, man. Turning it back to me. Uh, As far as performances go, uh, it's, I mean, it's it's tough to overlook Cedric Diggory. Um, Of course, his performance in um, Harry Potter. I, you know, I don't even remember, remember me. Like I was trying to, re- I was trying to think about that movie and be like, you know, because he was also like an executive producer on that one, you know. So was he? It was, it, yeah, he was. He was, and he was supposed to. He, he. It was supposed to be like that. Was supposed to be the film that got him out of the like Twilight. You know, like hey, he's a serious actor, right? right? Um, and I don't know if it really did that. I, I, I don't remember that movie kind of taking me by surprise. But I remember the ending took me by surprise. Yeah, that that was the thing. Was oh, yeah, I forgot about that controversy, right? Um, so anyway, I, I I do think Lost City of Z is he's pretty good in that movie. He's so this is for me easily his best performance. Yeah, I, I think that yeah this is this is the this is the movie that shows us what the man's been capable of for a long time. Uh, and and you know on the one hand. He plays this character who it's a one crazy night kind of movie, right? Where he it's like the underbelly of New York. He he just goes on this like crazy journey, like just weird. He's just a very resourceful character, and that part I liked about him. Yep. But he's also like a very despicable character. So a little there there were so many times where I was just like, man, I don't I don't like this guy. I, I just don't want yeah. him to succeed. I don't want to root for him. Uh, it was very it was it was a very interesting twist and turn kind of movie. I want to see it again. Just so that now that I have a complete, you know, look at what I think the Softy Brothers were trying to get across, uh, yeah, I, I go back and forth with this one. What about you, Maverick? Um, I went into this movie completely blind. Uh, I forgot to watch the trailer before going into it, so I had no expectations going in. Didn't know what was going on. The only thing I had for me was that it was an A twenty four movie. Um, I will say I was also excited because in the previews for this A24 movie, we saw previews for two more A24 movies coming out. That's right. It yeah. was really exciting to see all that good stuff. And not stuff only coming. that, but uh, Suburbicon, which is premiering at Toronto Film Festival next week uh, or two weeks yeah. from now, and I cannot wait. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so, like I said, I went in completely blind. Um, and I, I've got to say, I don't, I don't have a lot of bad things to say about this movie. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I was telling John before we started recording that the more I've sat on it, the more I realized how much I, I actually really loved this movie. It totally tapped into the genre that I'm into, like the dramatic kind of like a little bit dark. You know, it, it was, it was right up my alley. It was totally for me. The soundtrack 
You guys know I'm talking about soundtrack. Oh yeah, was amazing. It was just so was much really fun. Good. It was really it was very Stranger Things for a reference for someone who hasn't seen it yet. It kind of like this 80s yeah. synth pop thing going on a lot, which is weird because you don't like, you know, with what we've described the movie before, you're like, wait, what? You know? And you know what? I want to point out because you're you're bringing this up. Movies do that, and it doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. Death Note. <laughs> Death Note does this exact thing like both of these movies have that sort of synth pop thing yeah it works here it does not really work for death note i mean it's not i'm sure you'll talk about that more in many reviews but yeah i just wanted to bring it up because like what you're saying that there is merit to like how they use the music it's not just that it has the soundtrack exactly right i mean an 80 soundtrack in anything doesn't make it great right but it's just the way that they utilized it it was very textured it was very subtle at times it was you know kind of obnoxious at times but in like a in a really good way Mm -hmm. so i loved that part of it um i agree with you i think robert pattinson's performance was really truly great um i haven't seen him in a lot of things i've never seen the twilight movies so I, it was easier for me i think to kind of see him like just kind of disappear into this role because i didn't have a lot of the twilight stigma even you yeah. know you know him as that but i never saw those movies so it didn't have the same connection um I, I thought it was just really good i i mean i don't i don't know how much we're giving away and stuff like that but just there was one moment in you know like a, a hospital scene where there were a couple times where I was like I don't know if that's super realistic in the way people are acting right now and that was the only moment I felt anything other than like wow I'm like I'm really enjoying this um, the way that the the story like paints Robert Pattinson's uh, character is is so interesting to me because like you're holding on to the idea of him being like redeemable for so long right um, and I, you know I don't want to give away too much yet but I was just I loved it I'm really happy. <laughs> Awesome. I, I want to point out real quick, the music was composed by, I have it in my notes here, actually, uh, Onyatrix Point Never. That is the best name I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm not sure what other work they've done, but uh, you were saying, Will? Oh, I mean, there's only, the only thing that I found kind of believable is there's like one character, and I don't know if we need to uh, say this in spoilers or not, but there was like one character whose actions I found kind of unbelievable. Not unbelievable to the point that like I was lost in the movie, but like that was just like, eh. I don't know if like I really buy like this is like what this character is doing. It's um, hmm. I don't know. Can I say who it is, or you think it's? Um, let's uh, let's reserve it. I think I know what you're talking about, uh, yeah. and I do want to talk about that. So we'll do that in spoilers. Uh, before before we get to stuff like that, uh, so well, you know, this is a movie. There there are two interesting things about it we haven't really gotten to. Uh, first of all, the camera work. This is a very shaky movie. Mm-hmm. Like you know, even when the characters are walking, it, the camera kind of goes up and down. Were you impressed by the technical stuff in this movie, or was it more of the story and how things went along? I mean, I think what really impressed me was like the editing and just how the pacing kind of just kept you going throughout. Like, there's never a moment where I really felt bored by it. But at the same time, like, there's never like like it's not always action. Like, I mean, there's like like the beginning of the movie is like a very deliberate kind of uh, therapist scene. I guess yeah, that would be a therapist. Uh, and it's not really like there's a lot of action going on, but it's still like pretty much just as intense as any other scene in this movie, just because. Like, you don't know what's going on or anything, but you're just kind of drawn in. You're just magnetized by it all. And I think that's really just a tribute to these two brothers that have been able to kind of, you know, take what, I don't know. I mean, like you said, like the character, it could have been completely unlikable or he could have been, you know, like unredeemable, but they just find like that right balance where you find them fascinating enough that you want to follow them along, but like not too likable. That feels like almost like kind of like a, I haven't seen this movie, like, almost like a John Q kind of thing, where it just kind of feels, I don't know, like, unrealistic. You just, he's, like, just the right amount where of... the actions don't measure up with the words that they say, like, they just do things that don't make sense based on who they present themselves as. I'm sorry, say that again? I don't know if I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was just thinking of John Q, and that's always been my criticism of that 
character in that movie was that the words and the actions don't always measure up in, for the character. Yeah, and I guess, like, I never really, like, doubted the characters, except for, like, maybe one or two. Like, I felt like they all had a purpose and I could follow it, but it never, like, was too simple or too, you know, direct. They're complicated characters in their own way, but they don't feel like they have to over-explain anything or have to, you know, like... It's just, like, they present you in this moment, and it's really, like, a real-time situation. I mean, that's just, like, I just think that's quality filmmaking all around. You know, it is always a tough balance, because, you know, we watch, we watch a lot of crime movies at Cinemaholics. We watch a lot of movies that are about the whole idea of a person, you know, breaking the rules to get what they want. And what a lot of these movies usually do is they, they I think directors and writers, they want the audience to like characters who do terrible things you know in italian job you're rooting for people who are criminals i mean that's just how it works uh and part of the reason they do that is because if they don't godfather you're rooting for the mafia exactly exactly you know and you're supposed to also analyze the movie you're supposed to also look at these characters and understand that they're tragic you know even and it's a very difficult thing to do and i always respect a movie that makes characters and villains and all that sympathetic what I really like about Good Time is that it doesn't have sympathetic characters. Uh, what, what they were able to do with this one, and uh, it, was, it was written by Josh Safdie and Ronald Bronstein. What they do manage to do, they take unsympathetic characters and make them entertaining to watch. And they don't do it in a way that's preachy or that's condescending you know, to the, the part of New York that most people wouldn't go they do it in a way that is uh, just gritty. Uh, I, I don't, I'm trying to. I'm failing to think of a show or movie that has that same sort of thing. I'm thinking of The Wire, mostly. Yeah, I was thinking uh, like with characters Breaking Bad, who, kind of. Or Breaking like the, Bad a little the, bit, the, the, yeah, um, because it's departed. a character who starts out as sympathetic and becomes less sympathetic as it goes. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I don't know if I would go with the, the Departed because the Departed has a clear hero. So it's not quite. But, I mean, as, I feel like he, you know, is like it's. I don't know. I, I, that's a discussion for another day. Sure. Well, what I was going to say is what, what I love about um, the way that they balance. Well, kind of what you guys talk about, how you know he's not super lovable, is the way that they place Robert Pattinson's character with other characters. And at first, like when a you're lot kind of side characters. yeah, while you're watching that move or while you're watching him interact with these people your initial thought is, oh, like we're, we're being placed next to these maybe slightly more terrible people to like, to still show us that Robert Pattinson's like, everything's going to be okay. Like he's still the hero. But then as the movie goes on, you're like, oh wait, like it's actually the opposite. Like we're seeing Robert Pattinson with these characters to show you like, he's still the bad guy, even when placed with these bad guys. An entire thesis could be written on how this movie is perfect at show. Don't tell Mm -hmm. because the backstory, the exposition, it all serves the purpose of the plot. Yeah. There, there's no moment, there are no info dumps, there, there are no, there's nothing in this movie where the backstory gets in the way. It's all revealed at just the right time. It's paced at the right time, as Will brought up. Yeah. In a way that actually serves the plot and moves it forward. And it's great. It, it's a simple movie. It's, I'm not saying it's especially like, I don't think it's like very profound or anything. There's nothing about this movie that makes me think. I just really appreciate it. It's it's just a it's like a a nice glass of whiskey, you know. It's got a lot of flavor to sure. it, and uh, I think people will have a good time watching it. Yeah, I think I disagree. Not a, pun intended. I, I was gonna say I think I disagree a little bit because uh, maybe it's just because of personal experience stuff with people like Robert Pattinson's character. It did cause me to kind of think a little bit more um, about that character as a whole. Like you know, just because I mean I've, I've known plenty of people who are 
you know, you think like, you know, they have good intentions. They're just kind of a screw up or whatever, right? Like that. Yeah. So you kind of have that life experience. So it was kind of cool for me to reflect on, on that a little well, bit. Well, this movie is more of a window into yeah. a certain psyche that isn't usually explored. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I mean. It's not a profound take on that. Okay. It's just showing it to you. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Doing it in a believable way. And that deserves a lot of praise. I think that directors and writers who were able to pull that off uh, should be praised. I think this movie deserves a lot of the recognition it's yeah. been getting. I have a question for Will, unless you wanted to sure. bring something else up. Uh, Robert Pattinson's performance, do you see any Oscar buzz for Best Actor? I mean, if you're asking if I think he's worthy... At this point, yes. I mean, is he likely to get a nomination? I'm not sure. Only because, I mean, I bring this. Disaster I brought this up artist. before. I mean, what's that? Is that oh, disaster said, artist. Uh, it's tough because disaster artist. That's just gonna sweep everything, isn't it? Uh, it might be. Oh, I don't sorry, know. bad I mean, joke. I feel that, like most people are gonna. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I'm actually really rooting for disaster artists, and I've heard really good things. But I was gonna say, Same. only because it's coming out in August. I just don't know if the Academy has like that short term memory thing where like they're just not going to yeah. remember this performance in like four months. Sure. I mean, they might, I mean, if same goes, uh, same goes pushes, with wind river and Detroit. Yeah. So I mean, like if they, if a 24 pushes for that awards buzz with this performance and I mean, I could definitely see like a screen actors guild nom for him. I don't know if he'll get an Oscar nom or not, but I mean, if you're asking if, if he deserves it, then I say totally at this point, definitely. He deserves I could it. see him get a golden globe. I, and honestly, I mean, think back to the Best Actor nominations last year. <laughs> I mean, Ryan Gosling for La La Land. I don't know. If, if he can get I mean, nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I, I, I think I've grown to like La La Land more than you of late, but I can see what you mean. I don't think that's a performance that necessarily needs to be I, uh, remembered for the ages. I think he's good in that film for what he has to do, but I don't think it's like the best performance of the year necessarily. And of course, I love La La Land. That's a great movie. But I'm just saying, for Best Actor, that was a stretch. Yeah, I'm actually I mean, I'm looking sure. at it right now, and uh, uh, yeah, the, all all of the leading role, you know, like Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, uh, Viggo Mortensen, yeah. Captain Fantastic, which came out in the spring. So I, I don't know. I, I could I could see it. It depends on how good the rest of the year is, and it, it's looking to be like it's that's what there. I mean. It, a pretty it's good. really hard to say that now. It just, I yeah. mean, like, it's August, so who knows, like, with all the awards movies that are coming out in the next four months. But, I mean, he deserves it. I mean, I'm pulling for him. I want him to get, you know, the awards that re- the awards recognition for this film, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. It's really hard to say. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's do our final thoughts, and then uh, we'll each give a grade, and then we can do a couple minutes of spoilers. Awesome. All right. So I'll, all right. I'll start things off. Uh, my final thoughts, I think I've, I've really covered it. Uh, one other thing that I would bring up is that it is a movie that it, it goes places most movies don't go, and it's a movie that is a bit unpredictable at times, which is which is very interesting. Brilliantly paced, not too long, doesn't overstay its welcome. I mean, it's just an all around good movie. I don't think that it it quite reaches the levels of greatness that I think would be deserving of like our highest grades, but uh, I think it's still such a sol- a minus movie. Uh, just a couple of flaws, a couple of moments that I think we've talked about where things get a little unbelievable, a little kind of like stretching logic, um, but much of the rest of the film is great, and uh, Robert Pattinson delivers a, just a great performance that I, I hope he gets some recognition. It's okay if he doesn't, but you know, it, that would be nice. Uh, go ahead, uh, Maverick. I, I agree with you for for the most part. I, I'm going to go ahead and say that since becoming Cinemaholic, I think this might be 
one of my favorite movies I've seen. I, I really love it. And I think it's because I have that relation with, with that kind of, you know, the Robin Pattinson character. It, it's a little bit more real for me. And I think they did that so well. Um, and as great as Robert Pattinson was, I think everyone in this did a really good job. All the performances were Jennifer very... Jennifer Jason Lee, we didn't mention. Uh, who, who? Jennifer Jason <laughs> Lee. I don't know who that is. Uh, no, you remember her from uh, Hateful Eight. Okay, yeah. yeah that's yeah, the person yeah. I was going to say. She, she did great. She plays the crazy woman character very well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I loved it. So, uh, for, I, I think a logical grade is an A-. minus. My emotions want to say it's just a solid A for me. So, I'm going to go with the A just because I love it so much. I, I always appreciate when you lead with your gut. Yeah. Because it's way, way more uh, accurate. Mm. All right, Will Ashen, close us out. I mean, I'm not too far from you guys. I gave it like a low A minus just because, like you said, I mean, there are some things we'll talk about in a bit that I find a little hard to believe, especially when I reflect upon the film. But I think just as far as quality filmmaking, like you said, I mean, there's not like too much you can really like chew on. But at the same time, it's just I mean, there's nothing I can fault about like technically or anything like that. It's just a really well made film. And I hope people, you know, go to a local art house theater and check it out. All right, so uh, a, two A minuses and an A. That's a that's basically an it's a, a good report card average. If you round up, yeah, very good report it's card. Better than report card I ever got. Oh. <laughs> All right, well, we're just gonna do we're just gonna do a couple of make a couple of points that are spoiler heavy. This is gonna be a long section or anything. Uh, if you do not want to be spoiled on Good Time, uh, please skip ahead to our next segment. Just go to the show notes and you'll see the timestamp for that, uh, and then you'll go straight into uh, our intermission. And uh, but for now, spoilers for Good Time start right now all right so what did you want to say will ashen all right so at one point in the film like we get to this uh this house with a a grandmother character and like her 16 year old granddaughter and like i thought the actress that played her was very good but i just felt like the daughter or the grandma the grandma or the granddaughter i'm sorry okay uh i felt like the granddaughter's actions weren't like super believable to me i mean you guys may disagree with me but it felt like like there's a strange man. She's like intentionally like kind of like put off by him. And then like, she like, he like takes his hair dye and she's like, why'd you do that? And he's like, Oh, I'm weird. And he's like, okay. And she isn't really put off by that. And then they like start making out and she's like, not really weird out by that. And then she's like, he asked for a car and she just goes along with it and stuff. I don't know. I just, I found it kind of like a stretch. It felt like more like her character was written than like believable to me, but I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. I I disagree with you. Well, um, and, okay. and the reason for that is I think I think that her actions are more of a um, more of a testament to what Robert Pattinson's character was, right? Because the, the 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 goal was to show how manipulative and how how he can kind of mess with people, right? Because they framed it up with the the woman who played sure. uh, in Eight Eight, you know. So I, I think you know it's a sixteen year old girl, and they also they they spent yeah, she's a kid. yeah right she's she's a young girl, and they also make it a point to show us that she doesn't have a lot of interaction, she's alone a lot of the time, she kind of lives in a dysfunctional home where like there's not even food, like the grandmother's clearly unstable, so for me it it made sense that that a young girl who's not around a lot of people in that time would be kind of not off put, but more like awestruck with this this interesting guy who's who's around, right? Yeah, and I, I and, especially like just looking at the interaction between her or the parallel between her and uh, Pattinson's younger brother. Weirdly enough, yeah, because those are two characters who are being manipulated by this guy to sort of be opposed to their grandmother. I mean, it's pretty like I don't know. It just seemed like a pretty easy parallel, so that when at the end of the movie, when we realize that oh. Uh, the abuse and all of this stuff isn't really real that like 
the abusive person was Connie, yeah. right? Not the grandmother. Absolutely. I think that that is made even clearer and more resounding when you notice that it's the same thing that the girl realizes at the halfway point. Yeah, and, and the she little that look. the details that they put in with with her character of like, I mean, with her interaction with her grandma at first, right? She doesn't really listen to her grandma. She doesn't really care what her grandma has to say. She, you know, she was like dating like a drug dealer. She wouldn't yeah, reveal his location. Yeah, so yeah. they kind of put all these details in that show you like she's she's at a point where like she's up for anything. Like she yeah. just wants an adventure. She wants to ha- something to happen. She can't sleep. I, the, I would say, Will, the, the character that I had a harder time believing, and I thought you were, I thought this was who you were talking about, was the bro character. Yeah, I figured they're, that's they're, who you were thinking it, of. It, yeah, because it just, I, I did think some of his earlier actions, before he realized what he could, I think, I go back and forth on it, but like, especially when all of a sudden he just gives his entire backstory of the car. Yeah. That was like, yeah. why Which is I actually kind of like, I mean. I, it, it makes sense eventually. I was just saying, I, I thought I was going to hate that. But I found it kind of entertaining, so I actually kind of liked that whole weird tangent backstory thing. It was entertaining. Yeah, same. When right. he started it, I was like, oh, no. But right? then it makes sense because you realize the reason he's doing that or he's telling him that is because he wants to be able to go get the, the drop. Right. Right. And so he needs this guy to help him out. And so he's trying to like – because then you get to the point where these two guys are at odds and you understand like what where this has been headed. And yeah, I thought it was built up pretty well. And I thought that the bro character – at times did weird things or he reacted very strangely but then when you're like oh he is on every drug imaginable right yeah again right like in kind of the same thing right that like they start by presenting us with this character and you're like wait really is that really the person and then as you kind of start to like interact with them and learn about them you're like yeah this person is just like just kind of a crazy dude, right? Like, yeah. he just got out of jail for two years, so there's implied that he did something serious before. He doesn't make great decisions, right? So, like, you can see how he's just kind of a crazy dude. And he's, like, the best example I can present of someone that um, Khan's character is put with to, like, make you believe, like, oh, you're, you're, like, you're here to show us that, like, you know, Khan's still going to be the good guy in the end. You're the real twisted, messed yeah, up dude. Yeah. But then you later find out, like, no, like, you know, Khan is manipulating him. He's taking advantage of him or trying to. And then, you know, so it's... I these characters might have had moments where it's like would that really happen but I think the the overall purpose they served in the movie made it so worth it for me um, I would the only other thing I wanted to mention about spoilers was the ending hit me like very hard like a uh, truck oh my gosh uh, the way that the credits go up Ooh. how that is done mm-hmm. was uh, that, that was one of my favorite I, fades to yeah the, the credits I, of the year for me the moment when they're playing the game like cross the room and she says like you know cross the room if you've ever been framed for something you didn't do and yeah. and the little brother walks and her, just, john and i literally both went oh uh, like we the just light like, just turns on and yeah like, yeah because that's the moment that the whole movie like makes sense right like yeah. that's that so that's what i love, I love about the movies that can do that yeah um my my kind of i don't know if it's spoilery but my one moment or one kind of scene that bothered me with unbelievable actions was the hospital situation um just because, like, I've, yeah, like I've, you know, I've been around hospitals. My mom works in a hospital. The fact that he, like, picked up a dude from a bed and, like, the heart monitor right. went off and, like, a nurse didn't come in to check on him. Well, they did show that the nurse wasn't sitting at the desk. Yeah, but, but like, that, that itself was, that was like, like, that was, like, minutes later, too, yeah. right? So, and then, like, he just walked past the security guard with a guy who's, like, clearly not yeah able to leave yet so those kind of things with, like, robbing a hospital from a criminal, very, very unbelievable for me. I felt that way too, but I felt like that scene was so suspenseful and so well done that I I was willing to suspend my disbelief for that scene. Same here, same here. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for our good time review. Uh, but don't go away. Cinema Hawks will be right back. 
Hey Cinemaholics, up next we have something really cool that we're doing that's a little bit different from what we normally do on the show. Uh, this segment is called On Tap, and this is an interview we did with Kaylee Donaldson that you're about to listen to. Uh, so you will notice right away that we recorded it at a different time and in a different setting, so the audio sounds a little different, so don't freak out. I know that it'll be very strange to hear my voice going from this to this to this, uh, but hopefully uh, it, you guys will get a lot out of this conversation. Conversation. Anyway, uh, we had a great time talking to Kaylee Donaldson. And after this segment, we will get right to our mini reviews. We're going to cover Death Note and Leap and a couple more. So be sure to check that out as well. On July 28th, THR reported the launch of a new publishing arm set to release a brand new young adult book series, with the first one called Handbook for Mortals by Lanny Sarum, a debut author. The fact that this publishing house was created by a minor movie news website called Geek Nation has captured the attention of many in the publishing industry, Hollywood, and notably the young adult book community. Specifically, many are accusing the publisher and others involved of essentially buying their way onto the New York Times bestseller list in an effort to shore up a potential movie deal for the book with the author and her business partner, already cast to play the leads. One of the weirdest things about this story, the author's partner is Thomas Ian Nicholas, who some of you might remember as Henry from Rookie of the Year and Kevin from the American Pie movies. Now, as the story has been breaking, Kaylee Donaldson, writer for Pajiba and Screen Rant, has been closely following the varying threads and confirming a lot of facts and testimonies surrounding what appears to be a scam with possible implications for how movies in the future are crafted around major book releases. Kaylee, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I have a lot of questions. And uh, to start off, can you walk us through the significance of the New York Times bestseller list? How do books usually get included? Sure. Well, there are really only two major bestseller lists of note, the ones that people pay attention to, which are the New York Times and USA Today. And the New York Times is the prestigious one. It's the one that really carries the weight of acclaim and legitimacy to it in a way that something like USA Today doesn't, even though I think it has a more interesting algorithm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Getting onto the list nowadays is not as um, difficult as it used to be. It's still hard, but that's because publishing has changed so much that sales aren't as big as they used to be. So on a quiet week, you could probably make the New York Times any one of those lists with about five to 6,000 sales Mm -hmm. in your first week, which is which is pretty solid, especially for, say, a debut novel, which is what we're talking about. Uh, Their sales are mostly calculated through bookshops. They don't do as much in terms of Amazon or eBooks. And they have certain bookshops in the way that you have like the Nielsen families for TV ratings. They have Nielsen Bookscan, which is through certain bookshops that um, are kind of their average sales measure. So if a book is doing well with them, then that's the sales that are calculated for what get on the list. So this is not a massively known system, but if you know anything about publishing or if you're a book blogger, you kind of have an ear to the ground and you know how this works. And it's actually not that difficult to game this system. It's actually something that New York Times have really had to face as a problem for a while, although they tend to skirt over it more than they really should, in my opinion. I've heard a lot of that going around, that this is nothing new. And uh, there are other cases, but... Specifically with this one, I think there is a reason why it's sort of captured 
a lot of people's interest or, you know, not the good kind of interest, certainly. Can you walk us through how this started? Who was the person who first started pulling this thread apart? Sure. So I actually used to be a young adult blogger. That's kind of how I got my start writing. I'm not anymore, but I, I still keep up with a lot of it. And Phil Stamper, a young adult writer, was retweeted onto my feed and he had noted some red flags raised around the fact that this book called Handbook for Mortals had gone straight into number one on the YA list in the New York Times bestseller list. Um, That's rare for a book that nobody had heard of to do that, but it managed to knock off the top spot a book called The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, which has been in that spot for about six months now. That is the biggest book in young adult right now. It is the one with the most passionate fan base. That's getting a movie deal, actually. So that being knocked off the top sent some you know, alarms going off. And Phil was the one who got numbers showing things like this Geek Nation website, who are the publishers, have basically no traffic. They don't seem to have been updated for about two and a half months. They seem to be kind of a just a generic geek news website that's regurgitating a lot of old news. So it didn't have a lot of clout, basically. Yeah, one of their featured uh, <clears throat> articles is from April, from what I can see. Yeah, the whole thing is a very strange website. Cause, and we also found out the website is founded by Glory from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hmm. The, the whole thing, there's so many layers to this. So you guys have been very, it's a really strange day. And then Phil also raised the point that the young adult book community is very, very passionate. You know, if they like something or if they're excited for something, they will tell everyone. They will talk about it for months. They will tweet about it. They'll make videos. You know, they're one of the most excited, passionate, vibrant fan bases I've ever been a part of. So it was really, really strange that this book got to number one on the New York Times bestseller list and had none of that. There was no organic blog content, for instance. They'd done a blog tour to promote it, but you know they'd paid someone to do that. There was no one writing reviews for it or anything. It had nine reviews on Goodreads and half of them were duplicates. They were all five stars as well. It had a 124,000 rating or ranking on Amazon. And yet this book seemed to have sold 18,000 copies in a week. So all the alarm bells went off and it was Phil Stamper and um, Jeremy West, who are two bloggers who kind of basically started gathering the details. And then people started sending stuff to me and we started keeping up with it as a post on Pajiba. And it just over the eight hours kind of spiraled from there. And as reference, uh, because the thing you mentioned about Amazon is interesting. Um, you, you said the number was 124,000? About that, yeah. About that? Yeah. So the, the book came out this week, I believe the 21st or the 18th, or was one of those windows. And uh, this is its first week. Um, as a reference, my, my debut book came out last month. And in the first week, my book, which didn't, well, didn't hit retailers at the same time, was at, and it's not a YA novel, but the book, my book was at 75,000 with vastly lower sales than that. So, so that I can see why the alarm bells, especially for two people who are so embedded in the YA book community, would see something very strange going on here. Oh, yeah. And it just got stranger the more people were willing to talk to us. They went to Phil and Jeremy first, but I started getting a lot of emails, a lot of direct messages too. I had. Um, a source actually send me the book scan numbers, uh, which you have access to if you are signed up to Nielsen, which is a paid service. So he, uh, they sent me basically the numbers showing that there had been 18,597 sales over the course of this one week. 
uh, and that was all retail. Uh, and it was done through a, a sort of third hand publisher called Itasca Books, who are someone that you can basically hire to shift books around the country. They're known for doing that mostly for like conservative publishers. So like, you know, your Rush Limbaugh style kind of books. They are known for doing this kind of bulk buying and they seem to be doing it for the spook handbook for mortals. Uh, we also started getting messages from booksellers who were telling us things like, oh, we got phone calls from people asking if we were a New York Times reporting book and then they wanted to place an order for 80 books or 30 books and it didn't matter when they arrived. They would, they just wanted the order. So they were already, you know, they, they'd planned this out pretty specifically. They knew things like if you order more than 30 of the same book from Barnes & Noble, it counts as a corporate sale, which New York Times would have reported back to them and they'd see that as suspicious. So they would order 29. They knew that if they did it from indie stores, it was a larger number, but never to go over that number. You know, they'd done research clearly on how to scam. And then I actually got two separate emails from two separate people saying, oh, I've met the offer. She's taken multiple meetings where she's bragged about the fact that they're going to game the New York Times to get on the bestseller list to sell this movie. To sell the movie. Yeah, because part of it is they've already created uh, an IMDb page and cast themselves as the leads in this. Yeah, I mean, there is a. Um, if you want to see a segment of the book itself, uh, it is on my Twitter feed, and it's 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 linked elsewhere. Uh, it's just the description of the lead character who the author is attached to play, and it's just a, a direct description of herself. Uh, so it's kind of taking the uh, the Mary Sue to a whole yeah, new see, level. If you see a picture of the author, and if you see the cover of the book, it's undoubtable that they look the same. In terms of this this movie, you know, thing somewhat you know being the reason for this uh has this been done before is it not illegal well the thing is none of this is actually illegal like you can get someone to bulk buy a bunch of your books and as long as they know how to do it properly the new york times generally don't care sometimes they will put an asterisk next to your place on the bestseller list and say we have suspicions about the numbers but you're still on the list but, you know, if the best thing that you can say about something as well is not illegal, then it's probably not great. Uh, but the direct comparison I would have to what I think they were trying to do was the comic book Cowboys and Aliens, which um, was eventually made into a movie with Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford. And the publishers of that had gamed the system in a similar way. They lowered their price significantly so that their comic was about half the price of what a usual graphic novel was. The you know, gave huge bulk discounts to a lot of comic book retailers. They did a business arrangement with another publisher to get it onto one of their, like, top distributors list. And they basically bumped up the sales enough so the Entertainment Weekly got it as, like, their comic seller of the month. And then that helped Universal and DreamWorks to sort of go forward with the movie that they were kind of tentatively attached to. The problem there was that nobody really wanted to see the movie because it's actually really hard to fake hype. And I think that that was what they were trying to do here. They thought, well, if we have a number one New York Times bestseller, that will in get people interested and then they will eventually come to the book uh, and then they will want to see the movie. But, you know, hype has to be organic. You can put a lot of money behind marketing. You can put a lot of money behind publicity. But if you don't have the hook, people aren't going to bite. And I think they really underestimated the YA community on that front. I think that they kind of had this idea that YA would be easier to game because this book isn't young adult. Like the lead character is in her 20s. So I think that they really kind of screwed up in terms of who they were supposed to be aiming at and what they thought they'd get out of this. 
I think they screwed up a lot of things, but that was one of the more glaring aspects. And it also speaks, I think, to the book itself, because like you said, uh, it's very hard to fake hype. And I, th- I can see, I can, I can almost understand what the strategy here at this point was. Um, let's just get it out there in front of people, you know, and let's, you know, it, it'll organically pick up fans if we just sort of game the system. We have to do some bad stuff, but it'll all be worth it because the ends justify the means. That's how I would rationalize it personally. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think you say in your Pajiba article, which we'll be linking to that. We'll be linking to your Twitter thread. Uh, so all of you can find that, uh, in the show notes. But it, it is tough in the publishing publishing industry. It's tough to get attention. It's tough to, you know, you, you can't fake hype. So you kind of have to wait around and do your best to, you know, get people to read. And, you know, hopefully that'll turn out well. Uh, I do want to take a look at uh, an excerpt of the book because that that for me was when the story started to really crystallize for me because I was looking at this and I was like, well, maybe the book has merit too. And, you know, maybe this isn't, completely nefarious. Uh, and uh, here, here's just an excerpt. Uh, it's in chapter zero. And you can read this. It's the preview on Kindle because I will not buy it. Uh, but uh, it's a few paragraphs in and uh, up to this point, it's, this book has read very much like a diary. Uh, not necessarily. It is a chapter zero sort of thing. And it seems to be this book is written from the perspective of someone uh, detailing a story. Think of something like, uh, you know, Patrick Rothfuss or uh, even you know, Hunger Games, that kind of thing. So here's the excerpt. For me, I will never forget one particular July morning, the gray clouds that hovered over the ancient trees lining the street, the wind that blew swiftly through my blonde hair. It also spun about the chunky pieces on the lower half of my long hair, which I had dyed to be a multitude of fun colors. Today they were pink, purple, blue, and a turquoise green, but I have a habit of changing the colors frequently. My perfectly cut bangs stayed mostly unaffected by the wind, except for a few squirrely pieces. I can't keep going. Um, There is more to this paragraph. Uh, And, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, dump on an author. And I think that, you know, YA, you you mentioned you were a YA book blogger. Y has never been my favorite genre, but I am someone part of studying these things i've read a lot of books like trying to figure out how to make my book you know better and uh this is uh in my opinion very bad oh yeah i mean i have a pretty high tolerance for bad books just being a book blogger you kind of get used to that in the same way that if you're a movie critic you sort of get used to bad movies um what was mostly striking about this to me was that it just seemed like she didn't want to be writing the book at all and then that was confirmed to me when a source um actually got in touch with me and they said no they had met the offer and the offer had real no interest in writing the book and had a lot of difficulty in actually getting it finished because what they really wanted was to write a pitch that was what it was it was supposed to be a script treatment and then they got it to 480 pages i think it is which jesus so there was a whole lot of this that just got weirder and weirder as it went on so the offer used to be a a manager for a bunch of bands including blues traveler who then got in touch with me to say that she was a compulsive liar so i was updating the blog post saying yeah we've got the official statement from blues traveler now you guys it was just a very weird day uh, she's also the cousin of JC from NSYNC. <laughs> wow. So many threads. And how is that connected then to Glory from Buffy? And uh, there, there has to be a connection. 
it was just very strange. Um, I just don't think anyone involved completely understood what they were doing or what publishing was. I think that they just thought, well, if we sell it to, you know, as a YA book, kids are stupid. They won't care. But they actually don't. It's a really very savvy fan base, very socially progressive. You know, it's a bunch of kids who grew up reading Harriet the Spy. Why wouldn't they be prone to discovering bullshit? Um, I did notice that uh, Publishers Weekly got in touch with the offer. Um, the offer, I believe, did also direct message a BuzzFeed journalist. Uh, my, my DMs are open to you, Lani, if you'd like to get in touch, by the way. Um, and she claimed that... Um, she, you know, I'll read some of the stuff from Publishers Weekly here. Saram, contacted by phone, said she had seen some of the backlash online but believes it's off-base. She said she has been promoting the book for months now, just not in the places that the New York publishing world is accustomed to looking. Um, so what she's getting at there is that the, the claim that she and her business partner, the guy from American Pie, have made is that they have been making massive pre-sales for the convention circuit, like places like Wizard World Comic Con. Uh, it's true that you can sell your wares there, but I don't think you're going to be shifting 18,000 books wares that way. Yeah, yeah. Like my book is being is going through the same thing right now, and it's there's a lot of competition at these places, and it's not necessarily that's not where you can really sell 18,000 books unless you are an established author with an established fan base, I, I believe. Oh, yeah. And also just the sheer number was what threw us, a lot of us off. I mean, 18,000 books. I don't think it sounded like a lot to them. But right now in modern publishing, that is a staggering amount for a debut novel. A lot of debut novels, if you get a 10,000 first print, like, you, they've got good things in mind for you. So for them to even think that, oh, 18,000, that will be fine. And then that will get people talking. I mean, I question how many of these books actually exist in hardback form. I don't think they've printed that many. And if you've sold, I would imagine if you've sold 18,000 books, and that means you've gotten a lot of people very excited very quickly. And from what I can personally tell, it's it's like you said before, the, the buzz doesn't seem to be there. They retweeted the same sort of people uh, there are duplicate reviews. It doesn't seem like there are a lot of people talking about this. And I think this might have flown under the radar if they had actually done the pre-sales this way. I think people would have been like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that book. It was, you know, hundreds of people were buying it at uh, Wizard World or WizardCon, uh, whichever one they said that they did. Uh, one other thing I was going to ask about, because I was wondering, you know, how have they been sort of reacting to this so far? It sounds like you've covered the extent. Um, has Geek Nation responded at all about this or i mean you mentioned they're in a, they seem to be in a bit of a content stasis i have seen nothing from geek nation i've really seen nothing from any of sort of the main players involved the offer has clearly talked to some people she's talked to publishers weekly she may have talked to this buzzfeed journalist she has been tweeting or at least someone has been tweeting on her behalf uh, but really, it's, it's probably best that she doesn't start kicking off on Twitter. I generally recommend that as a rule that offers don't do. Sure. Uh, anything that comes from these guys, I think, if nothing else, will just be a another fascinating layer to peel off of this. I don't think we'll ever truly get to the bottom of their their intentions or their plans or where it all went wrong unless they decide that they want to write a book about that and sell sure, it back to sure. us. Well, people have been which, making that joke that, that. Like, the book about this is going to be hitting the number one New York Times bestseller list next year or something like that. I mean, they, it's clear to me, at least at this point, that the author 
didn't really have a grasp on the publishing industry. Like I think you've alluded to, uh, there are easy mistakes, cliches in the writing, you know, things like if, if you've spent 10 minutes in the YA book world, or even if, if you've read a couple of reviews on Goodreads, you know that characters shouldn't describe themselves in a mirror. That's just kind of like a thing that you just sort of know not to do. Uh, and it, it does strike me that they sort of, it appears to be that they wanted to capture this sort of YA trend, not really with books, but with movies. But what I was curious about was that, well, YA book adaptations to film have been trending downward ever since the Hunger Games trilogy came to an end. Some would say underwhelmingly so, and I would agree. Uh, the Divergent series couldn't even finish its its movies, and now it's going to be a TV series, apparently. The Fifth Wave, I think, was the previous... Uh, probably the most recent, like maybe this is going to be the next big thing. And then that fizzled out of, you know, uh, and there've been a few since, but if you can understand what I'm getting at, it, it seems kind of strange that it now would be the time that they would want to do this. Oh yeah. I mean, just recently, I think uh fallen went straight to uh video on demand, which that was a major thing where, you know, the, post twilight paranormal boom that's also a really terrible book that's atrocious but the movie just came out and it was made like three four years ago they just like had it sitting on a shelf because they didn't know what to do with it so i would say that that kind of boom at least in terms of the genre or you know the speculative why is probably over but that's what's happening right now in you know the publishing world itself the biggest book in ya right now the hate you give is about the black lives matter movement you're seeing this trend more towards you know, um, you know, real life issues, uh, really taking on you know, like the, the social topics of the day. I think even John Green, to an extent, can say that. I mean, his books are very much rooted in the real world. Yeah. Um, so these guys were really just, I, I, I imagine maybe a couple of years ago, they read Twilight and thought Twilight was still a thing. I mean, even Stephanie Meyer is now over Twilight. Uh, she's writing thrillers now and mm -hmm. producing movies. So I, I think that they just had this idea in their head that this would be easy street and the way to get that would be YA because that would theoretically be easier to get to the number one spot than say adult trade hardback or whatever. So the idea is that, uh, you know, they, it, the scrutiny wouldn't as, be as high on the writing or the, you know, the book itself because literary critics probably wouldn't be paying close attention to it, but maybe it's, you know, Oh, well, if twilight, you know, they probably saw the writing of that and were like, well, that's pretty easy. I can do that. Right. And uh, they weren't reading books like the Hey you give, which is uh, wonderfully written. And uh, as we kind of finish up here, I, I do want to point out like one of the silver linings uh, of this whole thing for me is that this controversy is unintentionally made people go get the hate you give because it's the sort of, you know, as it was getting pushed around on the list, that, I think that was part of the big, the backlash was that uh, Angie Thomas's book, you know, I think this has actually made people want to read that book, myself included. I went out and I purposely bought it after hearing so much praise about it because I, I don't usually read YA books and I, I read the excerpt and I decided to go check it out and I'm, I'm really glad I did. So, you know, just trying to, you know, find, find as much positivity from this as I can because it does seem kind of uh, concerning that this, they almost got away with this. Yeah, I think they didn't understand. I think they had this idea in their head that YA was just sort of like, silly girly romance childish vampire books kind of thing like they all had this idea that it was all terrible and they could get away with the quality being not that great because kids are stupid and they'll read anything which means that they totally underestimated that fan base which is 
a large portion of it is adult women, but it's, you know, really passionate, intelligent teenagers with, you know, vibrant dedication to social issues who really do want to make the genre and the world a better place. They're really focused on diversity. They're really focused on, you know, tackling the sort of issues that a lot of other fiction for adults isn't doing. And The Hate You Give is a great example about that. It is a very much a book of the time. It's this kind of thing that two, three, four years ago even, uh, why publishing would have said it doesn't sell. And it's been at the top of the list for six months. Yeah. Because it is own voices. Uh, this idea that, uh, you know, it, it was written by someone with a very certain particular point of view. And it was a book that was honest to that author's experience. Right. So this idea of like fantasy, sort of that trend in the YA book world, to, from what I can tell, doesn't seem to really be where things are right now because people are craving more authentic, genuine point of view books. And, um, I'm very, I'm very glad that, uh, this was resolved in a way and that, uh, Hate You Gave is number one again. And, uh, you know, it, it's a book that's been up there for a long time at this point. But, uh, I think a lot of people, I do understand why so many were very concerned about the YA book list being led by, people who sort of bought their way there. And even if that isn't illegal, uh, you know, my last question for you, I guess, is do you think the New York Times is going to, I mean, how, how do you think that they can prevent this from happening again? Have they done much at all so far? So some of our sources have told um, uh, Jeremy, um, Phil and I, you know, separately that, you know, booksellers had had the New York Times had gotten in touch with them and said, okay, we need some details. We need some of your data on this because we've had a few alarm bells set off about this book. So the book is now no longer on the list. There was a moment last night where it was still kind of there. We think that was probably just a glitch. Uh, but this has been so widely reported and it's such an anomaly in ways that this doesn't usually happen. You know, the, the list has been gamed before. It will probably be gamed again, but they've never tried to do it for young adult fiction. And that was what set the alarm bells off because that's, you know, young adult readers know bullshit when they see it. Just speaking from experience, I know. Um, because it's now gotten so impossible to ignore. I mean, um, the LA Times were reporting it, Entertainment Weekly were reporting it, Vulture were reporting this and writing it up. Um, they will inevitably be contacted for quotes, for you know a statement of some kind. I feel like they have to say something. It's just now it is too much for them to overlook. So my hope is that they will at least um, take some time to reflect on that and maybe look at ways into being more um, sort of focused on stopping stuff like this because if the list can be so easily gamed, there is absolutely no point in having a bestseller list. It really is supposed to be there as you know a marker of achievement, as a sign of where popular trends are going, as a way for readers to have something kind of trustworthy to lean on. And it's never been, it's not a 100% foolproof list in that aspect, nothing is, but it is really kind of the standard bearer that we have. And I think that it can always do better because, you know, if the New York Times can't do better on this front, then who can? I agree. Thank you so much, Kaylee, for coming on and unpacking this for us. No, thanks for having me. It has been a very, very long day. <laughs> All right, let's get into some of our mini reviews for this week. We just have a few to get to. Uh, there was there was one release, uh, that, uh, and uh, honestly, I've seen the trailer. I don't remember the trailer. I don't remember anything about this movie. Will Ashen, what is Leap? What is this animated movie that came out this week? All right, so Leap is the new Weinstein Company animated release. It's, I think, actually a French film that came out last year called Ballerina. 
I remember hearing about that one and reading about it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, as it's presented in its English dub release, it's basically kind of like your average, like, a uh, girl wants to be a ballerina story. I don't know. It's kind of interesting at points because, like, it's the early 19th century or early 1900s, excuse me, and uh, she's waking up to this guy. They were in an orphanage and, like, they go to France and she tries to be a ballerina and. That's basically where the plot goes, and like you kind of see like the beginnings of Statue of Liberty and these different set pieces in early France, but there's really not much to it. Uh, like, I mean, it's, as far as it is in its English release, it's just kind of like your plain family animated film. Mm-hmm. But the thing that threw me off is that like most reviews have agreed with me, like the jokes are pretty bad, and like the voice acting is mostly uninspired, and you know, like all, the story is kind of generic and all this stuff. But I was looking at like the uh, actual, like the original release, and it got like pretty good reviews and like they were like saying like the exact opposite you know like those kind of had this developed story and all this stuff so i'm thinking it's a another case of like the dougal instant i don't know if you remember dougal from like 10 years ago oh yeah wow that, yeah that more than 10 years ago though i think it was like 2006 so it might be 11 yeah, years from now yeah wow but that was a movie that was like the same thing where it's like the wine scenes released and they filled it up with all these celebrities and it was just awful it's like, man, this is just a really bad movie. It's like a Lord of the Rings ripoff or whatever with, like, dogs or something. It's like, it's also kind of like an Islands of Misfit Toy thing. Yeah. And then, like, when you talk to people who've seen, like, the original one, it's like, oh, this movie was actually pretty good. Like, what they do to the English version. So, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what Harvey Weinstein did to Leap or Dougal, but, like, I guess when he translated this film over, it just got bad. Like, I guess he just took all, like, the heart and wit of the film out. Dougal so had I don't know. an amazing voice cast. I mean, like... <laughs> It was ridiculous, like Jimmy Fallon and yeah. John Stewart. John Stewart. And the movie, though, oh my gosh, yeah. was Kevin Smith involved in that one? Yeah, I think he was. He was like a very small part. I remember that because that was like when I was obsessed with Kevin Smith. Ah. Uh, and yeah, it was just that was like a bad movie, and this was pretty bad too. Not quite as bad as Dougal. Does it make you want to watch just, the original translation? This, that's what I mean. Like, I if the original one is good, I just want to see like what he did to it because like it's like all fart jokes and like dumb stuff that they just incorporated for like. like you know like a mindless child or whatever to enjoy i guess and it just i don't know i guess it just proves that i think harvey weinstein does not trust the youth of america does not that's all i really have to say about (laughs) that's all i really have to say about that movie though i mean there's not much to say other than i think harvey weinstein does not like americans i guess so well uh clearly because he casts yet another movie that's like french cast dane dehan for some reason no, no, no. He uh, he was Nat Wolf in this one. He was initially Dane DeHaan, and I think they changed it to Nat Wolf. Still, they because they had Dane DeHaan originally. Yeah. Yet again, it's like they pick him for like these movies. But yeah, we'll we'll but see what happens Nat with Wolf. Tulip Fever. Um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. What was uh, your grade for Leap, real quick? Uh, I think I gave it like a C minus. Yeah. Like I barely remember this movie, and I saw it like a week ago. Oh wow. It just, yeah, I just like. I don't know. I just feel bad for the filmmakers of the original version because I feel like they have to like watch this at some point and be like, "What? What did you do? Like, what have you done to my movie? Like, it's just so generic now and pointless." So I don't know. I feel bad for them, but yeah, yeah I like a C minus, maybe point. a D plus. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad uh, we don't. I'm glad we're not doing this as the actual film because I would have nothing to say about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I had a feeling this was going to be the case. Now here here is a movie that we did consider as our featured review and. Right. I'm kind of glad we didn't for this one because uh, Death Note, uh, the adaptation of the hit anime series from a decade ago. I, I, and so we both watched this. It's available on Netflix right yeah. now. It is a 
it's a, it's hard R. <laughs> uh, I think the rate the official yeah. rating it has is like MA. Yeah. And uh, wow. So as you can imagine, it's based on the show. It, it basically condenses the entire series in one movie. Uh, it departs wildly from the series, but the, you know that's not a surprise, obviously. And uh, so the synopsis is Light Turner, a bright student, stumbles across a mystical notebook that has the power to kill any person whose name he writes in it. It was directed by Adam Weingart, who, you know, when I first heard that Adam Weingart was directing and that it was Nat Wolf, uh, Lakeith Stanfield from Get Out, uh, Willem Dafoe, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah, all right. This is a great cast, a good creative scene behind it. I mean, I'm not the biggest Adam Weingart fan. I, I think the VHS movies are good, and uh, Your Next was, you know, it was okay. Uh, do, do you really like his films? Do you like the, the yeah, guest? Yeah, I mean, I like Your Next. Yeah, I was gonna say I like your guest a lot. Um, your guest. I did like the <laughs> what you said. Your guest. Oh, I'm sorry. Be our guest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you're next, and I and I like that one. And I did like the guest. I also like you said his VHS segment, and I also really liked his one segment in the ABCs of Death, the first one. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't really care for the Blair Witch though. His reboot, like reboot sequel. I, yeah, I skipped that one. That was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I, I remember like. The like foreplay to that movie was more interesting than the actual film. Like the right, fact like, yeah, they called it the woods, and then uh, they showed yeah. it at Comic Con or something, and surprisingly, yeah, them. that's what I mean. Like that was more interesting to me than the actual film because the film was just super like meh, and it felt like it had like some cool ideas, but it was mostly like another like found footage film that really didn't have like too much to say or really too much to add to the lore or anything. It was just kind of mediocre, and that's kind of feel about Death Note to be honest. Yeah, well, just to get into it, I mean. So far, not a lot of people are loving this movie, uh, and I will—I'll be the first to say there are things in this movie that I do like. But yeah, uh, I want to say just one thing: the crux of this movie's problems for me are in how Willem Dafoe plays Ryuk, the uh, the sort of demon that basically instructs Nat Wolf's character Light on how the Death Note works, and he sort of like haunts him, and he's the the character who sort of embodies the evil, you know, Death God, right? Mm-hmm. He plays this character, but only as his voice. They had a different actor portray the character. And not only that, but they barely show this character who, it was a really good design, but it was constantly under shadows. It was CG, and we never get a good look. And I just thought that was such a terrible, I mean, the whole point of getting Willem Dafoe is that he actually looks similar to the character from the anime series. I thought that was right. very strange. Yeah, and also like the CG for that character was just not good. Like, he looks super fake to me anytime they did show him. So I didn't get, like... Uh, I mean, I and that's was, weird. It was just average. Pers- I thought it was... Uh, just, yeah. I thought it was pretty bad, to be honest. But I was going to say, like... Also, like, most of the special effects they have in this movie, save for, like, one or two set pieces, are pretty practical. Like, a lot of the yeah. deaths in the movie are, like, done with makeup and effects. And they look pretty cool. Like, they kind of have, like, a Final Destination feel to them that I like. This movie feels very like, Final Destination. It feels like it yeah. could be connected to Final Destination almost. Right. Of like, oh, that's this what I mean, is what's causing all of these things. And 85% of the time, if anyone was dying on screen, I was kind of liking the film. Hmm. Like, like we said, like most of the deaths were pretty fun and they weren't like, they were comical and goofy and bloody enough that like it kept my interest. Yeah. But anytime characters were talking, I just did not really care. I would say that with the exception of the Keith. Lakeith's character L. Yeah, oh yeah, he was cool. Yeah. I thought I thought that was. Like, I, I want to see him in his own movie, like that detective he, going around solving okay, yeah. like paranormal crimes. I, I'm just saying. I, I don't know if anybody else would agree with that, but like I was not. I did not give any sort of care about Light Turner in this, and 
I sort of made a joke about this on Twitter. Where I was like, now Wolf, you know, maybe in like 29 yeah. years, he'll stop playing high schoolers, you know? Because like, right. I feel like we've been watching him play a high schooler who's a senior for like the last seven years, basically. And I guess because he does he have that a, young face, but there are other actors. He also, does he have like a twin brother too named Alex? No, he's not his twin. He was, he's younger than him and uh, oh, okay. they were the Naked Brothers Band on Nickelodeon. Yeah, I get him mixed up. So like, so it seems like he's in twice as many films as he actually is. So, I don't know. Yeah, but I get what you mean. I don't know any other movie that that kid is in. To be honest, Alex. Yeah, Alex or, Wolf. I guess he I, was. He was in some Catcher in the Rye movie I saw last year, and a couple other things. I'm blanking wait, on. A Catcher in the Rye movie? Well, uh, no, no. It's like a kid that's like super obsessed with like Catcher in the Rye. It's not a good movie. It, oh. I don't want to talk about it too much because there's no point. But he's in it. Uh, it's like some kid tries to make a movie of Catcher in the Rye or whatever. It's stupid. Don't see it. Uh, but anyway, Death Note. Yeah, Death Note. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have any familiarity to the source material. I I knew like friends that were interested in the source material and like were really obsessed with it. But I I love only this I pretty much went into this blind. Source material. What's that? I I loved the source material. It, it's okay, one of my cool. favorite anime series of all time. I've heard it's good. I mean, I I don't want to be smirchy. I heard it's really good. I just have no familiarity with it. Yeah. Uh, and I just like I could see what people like in it, like just based on the bare premise. I could see a better film. Or a better story of this, but I don't know. It just, it just, it felt like an MTV pilot a lot of the time, just bloodier and more yeah. rated, like you said. I think, I think uh, one of the writers at Entertainment Weekly said that exact thing. Like it felt like it was really, uh, yeah, it felt like it was some sort of like movie pilot to a uh, to like a, a like just a really bad superhero movie or something like that or some something sort of like, like that, yeah, Teen Wolf esque sort of thing. Yeah, because like, Cause Teen, like Teen I said, Wolf like, has some of the, the really cool gore that I think this movie does. Does it? I haven't watched the show of Teen Wolf, but I mean, like I said, its, like even though Netflix, its, put, sorry, I was gonna say it's about to do its final episode, which is the hundredth episode. So, oh wow, just want to point that out. Well, they just got it in, I guess. <laughs> right in the right in the mark, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, like, it's Netflix is footing the bill, but it felt cheap throughout. Like, even though it had a pretty good cast and stuff, it just it just felt like an inferior version of whatever the original source material was. I mean, I guess there were You're other right. <laughs> films where they're like animated films before this, I guess like a trilogy or something. For Death like Note? That. Uh, yeah. It, it, maybe I, I, to be totally honest, think, I'm only familiar with the series. If there were I any, think there movies, was like other films. Cause I remember uh, but, like they went to theaters. Uh, there might've been like a Japanese animated live action film. Or yeah. Something like that, maybe. Yeah. Cause I, I think attack, I, like attack on Titan had that sort of thing. And, yeah, uh, I don't know. For I think sure. it's one thing in it. Yeah, no, I think there is because I remember there was like some like limited release or something with like Death Note, and I was kind of interested, but I never got around to seeing or reading gotcha. the book. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of like I, even though I'm not a fan of the series, I'm kind of bummed for the fans because I can just feel like their frustration through this because like well, it, it also feels like yeah. It, but one silver it lining. Feels like it's, I was going to say one silver lining is that you you can go back to the series and you aren't this movie doesn't really spoil anything. It doesn't really do a lot that's in the series so you you can actually visit the series and get a lot out of it even after seeing the movie sure and i guess also like i haven't seen ghost in the shell so i just haven't had that disappointment in my life yet so this, maybe this was better that, than ghost in the shell you, yeah i don't know i mean did you even want to talk about like the whitewashing controversy well okay i think the whitewashing in death note is a lot less egregious than in ghost in the shell because ghost in the shell yeah. tried to have its cake and eat it too you know, right. like it wasn't trying to like Americanize it. 
it was trying to do the actual source material, but like redone with white characters. Whereas Death yeah. Note, they actually kind of go all the way with it. They're like, no, we're making an American Death Note. It's in an American right. city, an American character. Seattle. They do a couple things, like where he... They, they fit it into the story in the sense that like he... The Kira character has the same name. That's his like serial killer alter ego. Right. But he actually... He makes a point of using a Japanese name in order to like ward off suspicion. And I think right. some people might find that a little bit problematic for the same reasons that they thought Ghost in the Shell was a little... Uh, but I, I think it's fine here. And I do think it's better than Ghost in the Shell overall, even with all that stuff, because I wasn't bored while watching this movie. I, at no point was I bored. Maybe that's because I do really like the source material and I love the premise, even though the, the source material is infinitely better in every possible way. Uh, mainly because it ha- the light character is not good in this. But luckily, there are other characters that are better. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically in agreement with you on that. I mean, I wasn't quite as... Like you said, I mean, they... I, I don't know. I mean, I can't really compare it to Ghost in the Shell. But, I mean, I could just tell from what I read from that film that it wasn't quite as offensive as that film. And, like you said, I mean, the stuff that does work in it, I was entertained by. I mean, I thought Willem Dafoe, even though it was just a voice performance, I thought he was a lot of fun. Although I will say, having seen the trailer for The Florida Project, I'm really looking forward to seeing him just be a normal person for once. That was the other movie that Maverick was referencing. Um, Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I mean, I just feel feel bad for him because he always plays like creepy weirdos. And I just want to see him like a nice guy. (laughs) Right, yeah. Like in that movie. Daybreakers and Spider-Man and this one. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay. He knows knows the score. Uh, I do want to point out. I do want to point out that even though I don't think the soundtrack is bad. I think it's really cheesy and it doesn't always work, but I did right. really enjoy the song in the end and how they did it. I don't know. I I, I just maybe I'm just a sucker for '80s music, but like the power sure. of love, <laughs> like in the very end, I, sure. I I got a kick out of that. And I, I guess part of, it was part of the reason why I wasn't very bored. I do think the third act third act is a total mess. There's a montage early on in the movie that gets a really that really just destroys the pacing of the whole thing. Where you're like, why is this? And they take a long time to get to L, uh, who I think is the best character in the movie. Personally, there are things I really like in that movie, but I like about this movie. That's why it is a mess. It's a mess of good stuff yeah. and a lot of bad stuff. And yeah, I, I, I for me, this movie is a C plus. I, I know this is turning into a featured review, not a mini review. So I'll, yeah, I was I'll, gonna say I'll leave yeah, it that. I, yeah, I'm at a C plus as well. At times, I felt like. This is like what Scott Pilgrim would be if it was like mediocre, because I kind of like the same beats and like Dutch angle kind of stuff it was going for, but it just wasn't as good or entertaining. Yeah. Or subversive. So yeah, I mean C plus. I don't want to drag this out any longer. It's just, <laughs> I mean, if you're a fan of the the show, I guess check it out to say you've seen it. Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, you certainly could have done worse. I, I mean, would I'm watch sure... the animated series first. The animated series yeah. is so much more compelling, and you know, and it's a it's a bit on the nose, but like. What what I love about the original series, the anime series, is that it has so many consistent themes of like what is justice, and it has a lot of characters who define justice in a lot of different ways. It's a movie that takes like a very weird, out there premise and fully dissects the philosophical implications of it and the logical right. implications. It's smart. It's fast. It's one of the most bingeable shows you will ever watch. Because I remember I watched one episode and I was hooked. And then you got to watch the entire thing. And this was back when it was coming out week to week. So that was tough for me. But then rewatching the series, it, it's very easy to do. It's on Netflix too. If, at, I 100% recommend it if you like anime. And uh, I would at least give it a shot if anime is not your thing and see if you like it. And that includes you, Alash. 
he has to say, I'm not super into anime, but I'm interested in the premise enough after seeing the film that I want to see a better version of it. Try it out. Try it out. If, it, if you don't like the sure. pilot, hey, no, no, uh, no harm done. Um, anyway, sure. so uh, Matt Donato reviewed the film. I do want to share his review because it is a bit of a controversial one. He gave it three out of five stars. Uh, not oh, so, well. yeah, a fair rating, which I believe is like a translates to a B minus. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, he said this is a fine beginning to Netflix's dark franchise, but with a little more playtime for Light and his book, Death Note could have been more than a generic fire starter. Hmm. All right, uh, we just have one more movie to get to. Will Ashen, walk me through Brigsby Bear. You saw that recently. I did. And uh, John, I just really wish you saw this movie too, because <laughs> I kind of want to talk about this with you. Oh, uh, I'm going to get to it. Yeah, this is the Cal Mooney movie. If you don't know Cal Mooney, he's uh, kind of like that weird guy on SNL. He kind of took the place for Andy Samberg and Lonely Island in a way. He's been doing a lot of the digital shorts yeah, yeah. for them recently. And his his kind of thing is you like it or you don't. Like He's either that guy who's like, I don't really get what's going on. I just want to see Melissa McCarthy again do like a skit. Or he's like, oh, he's like the best part of the show. I mean, you just love him or hate him. And I mean, I like him a lot. I think he's usually the best stuff on the recent SNL. And I thought the same of this movie. I was really looking forward to this movie because everything I heard about it, I was like, man, this just sounds exactly like my kind of movie. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, it's a weird mix of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt meets Elf, meets The Truman Show, meets like, oh, I don't know, like, uh, Room. It's mm. like this weird, like, I don't want to give away too much, but essentially the bare premise of the film is there's this guy who, like, for most of his life, like, he's like... 20 somewhere between 25 and 30 years old and for most of his life he's been trapped in this kind of bunker with his parents and he has been watching the show obsessively called brigsby bear it was kind of like this uh like teletubbies barney kind of show where it teaches them real life lessons in this kind of corny 80s retro way and at some point he gets found out about and they take him out and they take him to his real parents and he learns that Brigsby Bear is not a real show, but this thing that uh, his captors made to kind of, you know, not make him think about the real life world. And so he goes on a quest to kind of like spiritually cleanse himself or kind of emotionally cleanse himself from this traumatic experience by making a Brigsby Bear movie. Hmm. And I don't know. I mean, it's a movie I wish that you saw mainly because like I just want to talk about it with you just because I'm still processing right. how I feel about this movie. But I mean, I've heard some people complain that like they don't really treat the traumatic stuff too deeply or like they don't really go into psychological stuff too much but i think honestly i think it just goes into it just enough like you get the like implications of like how messed up his situation is but at the same time it's so earnest and full of optimism about like you know being inspired and like what it means to be like a fan of something even though like no one really understands it and then like when you finally find like when i, I wonder why you, you relate and you're to like, that well what's that i said i wonder why you relate to that not uh yeah i know that's what i mean like podcast yeah, I know. That's what I mean. Like, when you, like, go with somebody and they're like, oh, like, I really love this, too. Like, this is great. Like, that, like, er, like, there's a scene, I mean, there's a scene in this movie that's, like, so, like, joyful when, like, he realizes someone else loves Brigsby Bear. And just, like, the joy that's in Cal Mooney's face. I mean, I think Cal Mooney gives, honestly, one of my favorite performances of this year. He's so good in this movie. Hmm. Like, he is really what makes this, like, what makes or breaks this movie. He also wrote it. And, like, this easily could have gone wrong in, like, 500 dis- different ways, but he just... Toys I've that heard line it does go wrong this... in a lot of ways, but uh, I'm very uh, yeah, glad that's I mean. I ca- for you it, it didn't. Yeah, no, I mean, again, that's why I, I kind of wish you you saw it or even didn't dislike it so I could kind of bounce off with you. But, I mean, like, I don't know, I just, I really hope people check it out. I mean, it may not even be in your local theater anymore because it, it was only here for a week. Yeah, it came in and I just pretty fast it. here. Yeah, it, it it's really kind of 
fleeting from the theaters. I would say if this at all sounds interesting to you, please check it out. If just to kind of get in the conversation, just see something that's completely original and weird and, you know, heartfelt and earnest and wholesome. And I would say, you know, it's, you know, a film I just love to pieces and I hope people check it out. You don't have to convince me to see it. Um, sure. I have been sold on it be- ever since I heard of it just because uh, Kyle Mooney did one of my favorite YouTube videos of all time, uh, Lakers Champions, the okay. on the Good Neighbors, the Good Neighbors stuff uh, YouTube channel. Have you? Did you ever? Yeah, watch that? I've seen. I've seen some of the skits. I mean, one of my favorites from him is uh, I don't know if you ever saw the one where like he, it's like roommate comes in on him like watching like gay porn. He's like, "What is this going? What's all this?" And then like he like sees all. You, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? I've seen that yeah, one, that and I've seen the uh, the handshake <laughs> or no the toast. The toast. Is oh like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. It has the uh, the T-Mobile girl on it. Um, right. That actress. Yeah, so I, I, I'm already sold on it. I mean, I, I don't even love him more for his SNL stuff. I've, I've been a fan of his ever since his YouTube skits. So sure. I do want to check this out. I have a feeling I'll like it more than critics uh, and apparently some audiences I think did, critics so. have been liking it, though. Uh, I've seen, I, I've I seen some like, bad reviews. But, really? Uh, I, I think it has like a... It, I think it's fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, but I, I have yeah. seen like... I, I don't remember which... Uh, which critic it was, but like a critic that I really trust, I think it was Tasha Robinson, uh, kind of trashed it. I think I got trashed on like Fox and The Verge, and it, it, sure, I'll I'll leave the the reviews to myself though. So yeah, Andy Weir didn't like it. I know that. Uh, so. Andy Weir, the no David Ehrlich or what Ehrlich or whatever his name is. Uh, I know he didn't like TJ, it. TJ, are you talking about TJ Miller who plays Ehrlich Bachman? No, 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 no. Uh, David Ehrlich, like E H. Oh, David, or, David Ehrlich. Know, yeah, David Ehrlich. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. I know he didn't like it. Oh, okay. He um, didn't like it. I know that. Oh, you're right. I did because I saw on uh, Twitter he was kind of eh about it. So, all right. That said, uh, I do want, I'm going to check this out on Video On Demand uh, as soon as it comes out on uh, whatever sure. ser- service. But uh, for now, unfortunately, I won't be able to catch it at the theater. But thank you, Will, for, that's fine. for giving me the rundown. Yeah, sure. I mean, I hope you check it out, honestly. I mean, if you don't like it, that's fine. Did you I just kind of want people to see it. No, I gave it an A minus. A minus. I'll I'll say this too. This is the only movie this year. Like I don't cry during movies. This is the only movie I had to hold back tears. Like by the end of the movie, oh, I'll say that. Just let it go. Just let it happen. Oh. No, I can't. I can't. If they break me, <laughs> I don't know what will become of me. I have to review the movie. I can't review a movie through the moisture in my eyes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well that'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Hope we could give you uh, some cohesive reviews this week it was a bit all over the place but that's okay Um, i think we we covered some great films uh thank you as always for listening and if you like cinemaholics and you're like man i really hope cinemaholics is here next week i hope it comes back uh one of the best ways you can make sure that that happens is you can leave us a review on apple podcasts uh also we're on google play and citra and all of that uh but if you can do that if you leave us a rating review leave us some feedback that always helps uh get us in more inboxes and helps us uh, stay funded and all that stuff. And uh, if you want to read our official reviews of certain things, just go to the show notes and check out your cinema homework. Uh, and you will be able to find links to stuff we talked about. Uh, go to our Facebook page if you want updates on all of our episodes and bonus episodes and things like that. And if you just want to uh, see what Will and Maverick and I look and talk like on Facebook, you can do that on the fan page because that's where that yeah. is. And uh, Or that- friend me. I don't care. Yeah, friend us. Whatever. Uh, we're we're on the Cinemaholics Facebook page. Uh, you can find it. There's a link to it in the show notes. And uh, we're on Twitter as well. Uh, and you can hit us up on Twitter anytime. Ask us questions. And you can hit up me and Will on anytime. Twitter. Anytime. 
because yeah, anytime day or night especially if you're time 5 a.m i don't care <laughs> um uh, my twitter is at john negroni and you're at the will of ash yep uh, so just find us and we'll be back next week uh, remind me will ash and what comes out next week honestly i was just about to ask you the you're, same you're, thing I don't know. <laughs> this is this is how it goes every it, single uh, week doesn't it yeah is it tulip fever or is that coming out the week after it didn't that like get pulled back and then that's what i mean i don't know i don't know when tulip fever is coming out yeah because i, I have it they're doing list. it again they don't yeah i don't know so if you want some inside baseball and some holics we have like a master document of like all the movies coming out and then we make decisions on like what we're gonna see based on the movies that like we look at and we just sort of debate like okay which one do we want to talk about which one do we want to feature we haven't been doing that the last couple of weeks because August has been such a, you know, so, yeah. so zone. next week is, uh, so we haven't talked about patty cakes or all saints or beach rats. And of those, I or do Ingrid goes West. I do. Or Ingrid goes West. I do want to talk about beach rats, uh, but I, it's not playing anywhere around here. So I'm, we may have yeah. to hold off. But, uh, so next week, Oh, is it, how could I forget? Wait, no, I think that's, no, it's two weeks from now, right? That's on the eighth. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So we're, I think we're good. That, Oh, wait, you're right, because next week is... Yeah, uh, the first. I don't see anything coming out next week, then. Yeah, I I, I mean, I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring. I really want to see Ingrid. I don't know if that's what you want to do. Or if you, <laughs> or or, you we know could what? do our fall movie preview. <laughs> or I was going to say, we could do a summer movie recap or anything like that. Well, let's leave it up to the listeners. Uh, if you're listening yeah. now, and you let us know what you want us to do. Do you want us to do a best of the year so far? or maybe like a best of the summer we could do that we could do like a hey these are our best, favorite summer movies uh we could also do a fall movie preview if you want uh, some insight into the movies we're most looking forward to next week's a great time to do that because toronto film festival is going to be going on so we're going to start yep. hearing some buzz for movies besides i think the two that i think we're both we're all most excited about are probably suburbicon and disaster artist uh and, and yeah. a couple of shape of water i'm pretty interested in a few others yeah. but uh it- yeah it obviously um, that's going to be happening so let us know uh in the comments uh or actually not the comments uh email us cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com uh email us cinemaholics at cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com let us know what kind of episode you would like or hit us up anywhere else and we will make that decision per your suggestions yeah we're gonna put in your hands the faithful listener All right. Well, that's it for us. We'll see you next week from the Internet, California. I am John Negroni. And from the Internet, Pennsylvania, I am Will Ashton. For Maverick Hines and Kaylee Donaldson, we will see you guys next week. Bye.